Again, if you have your Bibles, we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 33. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and the guys will bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 through 33 this morning. Right, starting in verse 23, we read, The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh, Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. The title of my message this morning is The Reality of the Resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, this opportunity to gather together, knowing, Holy Spirit, that you are here to teach us and instruct us and show us, Lord, what we need to hear, what we need to do, how we need to live but to draw us closer into our relationship with you. We ask now that you would bless our time together, Lord. We ask your blessing upon our children as they are instructed from your word this morning downstairs. And we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in all that we do. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again, they're not saved yet, Lord, would you especially speak, uh, speak to their heart this morning, that they would see and they would understand and they would know what it means to know you as Savior and Lord. So bless our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There were repairs made on a highway in Pennsylvania, in mountains of Pennsylvania. At at the point where the construction began, there was a sign that read, Road Closed Beyond the Cemetery. And I think we, we think about that. A lot of people think that the road is closed beyond the cemetery. In the book of Job, the oldest book of the Bible, the question is asked, if a man dies, will he live again? And a lot of people have been asking that question for a long time. Is there life after death? You say, that's not my question. My question is, is there life during life? Well, yeah, there is. But we often wonder, what's beyond the cemetery? Is the road closed? If I die, will I live again? Will I know my wife? Will I recognize my husband or my children? What will I look like? Will I be reunited with those that I love? Will I be resurrected? Will I maintain my own identity? All of these questions we are going to attempt to answer this morning in this text. And we're going to uh, look at three things if you're taking notes. We're going to look at the question, number one. 
the problem, number two, and number three, the solution. First, the question. Now, that is, comes within the setting of this text. It's after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus came in on the donkey, rode in there. They, they shouted, praise, praise him, Hosanna. And, and, and then, uh, as he's in the temple, they begin to question, the Jewish authorities did, question his authority. Now, it's interesting because we've entered into the last week of the life of Jesus and he's about to be crucified as a Passover lamb. As I mentioned last week, any lamb that got brought to or animal that got brought in for the Passover, they would have to inspect it for five days to make sure there's no blemish, no spot, anything wrong with that. Well, how fitting for God's Passover lamb, Jesus, to come in and, and be examined by the priest. The Sadducees were the priests and, and Jesus was found to be without blemish and without spot. But they asked him really three questions. Number one, they, they, it was the first, the question of authority. And we looked at that back in chapter 21, where Jesus had cleansed the temple and the Sadducees, Sadducees came to him and said, you know, what authority do you have to do these things? The, the second question we looked at last week, and that was of responsibility. You know, should, uh, you know, is it okay to pay taxes unto Caesar? And Jesus then dealt with our responsibility to the government and our responsibility to God. But then this morning, we look at the third question, and it's a question about eternity. They're going to ask him, what lies beyond the grave? I want you to notice, first of all, who asked the question. In verse 23, it says, The same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying... Now, notice, it's the sad, you sees. You have to say, how sad you see. You thought that was coming, because they believe in no resurrection. In fact, over the book of Acts, we're told that they denied the existence of angels. Josephus, an ancient Jewish historian, tells us also that they didn't believe in the future judgment, obviously because they didn't believe there was in any afterlife. They only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and, and therefore they did not believe in the afterlife. They were kind of like the liberals of our day to day. Now, the Pharisees on the other side of the coin. They were the, the more theologically sound, but as we looked at it, they were also legalist and prideful and, and very um, self-righteous. Sadducees, though, they're, they're liberal. They come up with this question. And again, they no, they don't believe in the resurrection, but they, they think they can trick Jesus. Look at verse 24. They say, now, teacher, obviously not knowing who Jesus was, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now that is true. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5, uh, you know, it talks about that. And, and the reason for that law was very simple, that they wanted to keep uh, the family name going. So if the, the husband died, you know, then the wife would then marry the, the brother so the family name would keep going. In the Jewish culture, family name was very important. So they asked the question, look at verse 25. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and then the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Well, she probably ate her own cooking at the last time. I mean, I mean what killed her in her previous seven husbands? I mean, come on, after about three husbands, you think you're going, okay, what's wrong with this woman? A little suspicious. But it says in verse 27, she died. And then in verse 28, they come up with their big question. And you can almost picture them kind of sneering, kind of snickering, thinking, hey, we've trapped Jesus now because we've just used this before with the Pharisees and we're going to get him. This little Nazareth, Nazarene guy doesn't know nothing. Look at verse 28. Therefore, they say, in the resurrection, 
Whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. I mean, they're just thinking, we have got him now. I mean, he's going to be humiliated. He's not going to know how to answer. But in reality, they had no clue that they were dealing face to face with the greatest mind of the centuries. This is God in the flesh. They were speaking to the author, the Pentateuch himself, Jesus Christ. They're dealing with God who's omniscient. And here they're standing in their self-righteous smug thinking they really pulled one over on this guy. Again, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe that there was really life after death. So look what Jesus says to them in verse 29. Jesus answered them and said to them, and I like this, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. And that's point number two, the problem. He, he lets them know right off the bat, here's the problem. You guys are mistaken. Interesting phrase, that word mistaken. The word actually means you are deliberately going astray, wandering off and deceiving. Jesus said, that's the problem. Deliberately misinterpreting scripture to your own ends. This is something they were doing. Now, people do this today uh, quite a bit. You know, they twist the scripture to support their views. Instead of conforming to what the Bible says, they want to conform the Bible to their views. Happens a lot. We have people that say that the Bible is too sexist and therefore they retranslate certain portions of the scriptures. The National Council of Churches sanctioned a translation of the scripture that rewrote the Lord's Prayer to say this, Our Father and Mother who art in heaven. Now, of course, there's nothing in the original language to support that kind of translation, but it is politically correct. Then there's a Bible out there. Maybe you've heard of this called the Inclusive Bible. Listen to its own description it said, uh, of this Bible. Quote, This does not merely replace male pronouns. The translators have rethought what kind of language has built barriers between the text and its readers. They have sought new and non-sexist ways to express the same ancient truths. So in their own words, they have people who are retranslating the Bible to fit our culture today rather than trying to conform our culture to what the Bible actually teaches. And there are people who will, who will say, well, have this belief system. And they'll go to the scriptures to, you know, with this belief system already intact and try to find the verses to support what they believe. And that's how they view the world. Through, through, this, through this particular lens they have already established. And that's how they look at the Word of God. Cults do this quite a bit. They have a belief system that is taught to them before they uh, even open the Bible. If you become a Mormon or Jehovah Witness, you're not told to just read the Bible and pray and, and God will lead you and guide you. No, you have to read the writings of the Watchtower organization if you're a Jehovah Witness. No, you have to, if you're a Mormon, you need to read the Book of Mormon and other writings so you can correctly interpret Scripture really the way we want you to interpret Scripture. Basically, you have the writings of man or a group of individuals that are now twisting the Scriptures to fit their views. And this is what the Sadducees were doing. That's why Jesus points out the two areas that they had a problem with. Their problem, number one, was the ignorance of God's Word. And number two, he says, their problem is, is ignorance of God's power. And I think the same thing can be true today. Almost all theological error can be traced either one or the other. Either ignorance of God's power or ignorance of God's word. It's an amazing thing to me. Of all the important books that are in the world today, all the different books that ever written, that people are ignorant of God's word. Think about all the books that we have on mathematics and, and, and on science and health and biology and computer science. 
All the books we have on auto repair. I mean, they're probably more than all the other ones. Books on airplanes and aerodynamics and, and, and all sorts of things. But, but smart, well-read people don't have a clue about the Bible. The most important knowledge you can ever possess is the knowledge of God through the Word of God. You may have all these degrees, a PhD, some degree, but if you don't know your Bible, you're not wise. It's very dangerous to be ignorant of God's Word. And, and, and many people today, because they do not have knowledge of God's Word, that means they have no idea what heaven is going to be like. The resurrection, I'm, I'm so tired of, of seeing these, these cheesy views that, that, that TV portrays what heaven is going to be like. You know, they, they, they show a guy up on a cloud who's kind of floating, and he's got a harp, and oh, this is what heaven's like. I've heard people say, well, why would I want to go to heaven and if I'm just going to, you know, float around on clouds all day and play a harp? I don't even like harps. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're going to be playing harps in heaven. When Jesus says that we should be as the angels, it doesn't mean that we're going to sit around in heaven and play harps for all eternity. You know, people have the idea, well, that in heaven, my dog is going to be there, and if it's not there, then I don't want to go there. Well, what are your options, you know? (laughs) You're going to go to hell, your dog's not going to be there either. People lose loved ones, and, and I do say this respect, and I have loved ones in heaven just like you do. And people say, oh, they're looking down, watching on us now. I'm sorry if you think that, but I can't find that in God's Word. I can't find that in Scripture. Or people say, well, my loved one is, 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 is doing this in heaven, and he's doing that, and he loved to golf, so he's golfing in heaven, and he loved to fish, so he's fishing in heaven. You don't know what they're doing in heaven. We do know this, that they are in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy, and they are worshiping Him in heaven. But we don't know that they're looking down at us. I've heard people say, well, my husband died and I know that he's with me. In fact, he's in my room every night and I talk to him and so forth. That's not what the Bible teaches. So important that we base what we believe and how we behave on what the Bible says and not what we want it to say. If the Bible speaks, then we can speak on the authority of the Bible with surety. But if the Bible is silent, then we must be silent because then all we can do is speculate. There are only two sources of knowledge of what lies beyond the grave. One is human speculation and the other is divine revelation. And I choose to believe divine revelation through God's Word. Now people get the idea that there's this, this golden gate and before you get into heaven you have this big interview with Peter. In fact, I heard this story about a man who just died and was at the gates of heaven waiting to be admitted. And of course, he was greeted by Peter who was looking through the book to see if this guy's name was written in the book. Couldn't find it. And after going through the book several times, you know, Peter kind of frowned and said to this man, Hey, I really can't find, you know, that you've done anything all that bad in your life. But I really can't find that anything that you've done really good in your life either. If you just point out to one good thing that you have done, you know, uh, uh, you know, then, then maybe I can let you in. The guy says, well, I am so glad that you asked. And then just, just this one time I was driving. I was going down the highway and I saw this woman's car that had, had broken down and, and, and had been pulled over and, and looked at those broke down and there was this motorcycle gang. And they're all around this woman in her car and they're circling her and I could see that she was in danger. So I pulled my car over. And then so I hopped out and I ran in my trunk and I grabbed my tire iron and, and I ran to the middle of that circle and I stood between the girl 
And those, that motorcycle, big, burly, outlawed bikers, and I said, if you lay one hand on her, you're going to have to go through me. And to make my point, I, I, I hit the biggest one of them all across the head with my tire iron. Peter said, wow, that's very impressive. How long ago did this happen? About a minute ago. <laughs> but you see, everything about that story is completely wrong when it comes to heaven. Peter's not going to greet you. You can't get in if you've done good things. But people believe stuff like this. Foolish ideas of what people think that, that are not clearly based on the Scriptures. Instead of speculation about what we don't know, let me point what Jesus says that we can know and some other facts that we do know from Scripture about heaven. Heaven is something that I know that we're all looking forward to. The Bible tells us that heaven is real. It is a physical place, physical location, a new Jerusalem that's beyond description. We'll have jobs to do in heaven uh, the, for the kingdom of Christ's glory. And, and, and all the suffering that we endure today, it's going to be gone. All the sin we battle with today will be history someday. And when it comes to being married in heaven, well, Jesus says in verse 30, he says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. So let me make this clear. There is no marriage in heaven. Now, some people, when they hear that, they go, oh, bummer. Whereas others say, praise God, hallelujah. I am so glad I came to church this morning. I can't wait to go to glory. I won't ask you to raise your hand who made that statement, but repent. But I, but I know this may disappoint you. You may say, well, I want to be married in heaven. Sorry, this is what Jesus says. But again consider your options. You're not going to be married in hell either. And so, um, I mean, I'd rather not be married in heaven and be happy than not be married in hell. You have no other options. Now, this does not suggest, however, in the slightest way, any reduction in love. I believe, the Bible clearly teaches, that I will be in heaven with my wife, the one that I love, with my kids, but we're not going to be married in the sense that we are down here. We're going to be in glorified bodies, bodies that will never die, so there'll be no need to procreate, to, to produce children. Here on earth we die, and, and, and we need to keep having kids to keep populating the earth and keep mankind living upon the earth, but we don't need to do that in heaven. Instead, Jesus says we are like angels of God in heaven. Now, without spending a whole lot of time on angels, let me just say that they were created by God they are creatures and they are not to be worshipped. They're not to be, you know, prayed to. They're not to be venerated. They are spirits, beings that, that never die. And we know that Satan was an angel or how be it a fallen angel and because he rebelled against God. And then a number of the angels followed suit with Satan. And now we know them today as demons. That's what we know from God's word. But if you get your information from TV, you come up with all sorts of other ideas about angels and demons and really the spirit realm. A lot of movies out there, TV shows. Oh, look, at, there's a ghost. And we got the camera with the, with the red, you know, the night vision. Oh, there's a ghost there. No such thing as ghosts. You know, what about uh, seances where the dead come back and communicate with people? Those are not dead returning. These are demon spirits masquerading as the dead. The Bible refers to them as familiar spirits. The devil obviously knows certain details about people who lived on this earth. So we can bring up some of those details and that deceiving spirit can share that as a message from their dearly departed to mislead us and get us looking in the wrong direction. Listen, there are good angels and there are bad angels. That's the whole of the spirit world. 
Now, God does send good angels to guide us and protect us and to watch over us. And, and Jesus talked about how the angels of children always behold the face of God our Father in heaven. And there are things we can learn about angels. But angels are created by God not to be worshipped. And notice here that Jesus doesn't say that when people die, they become angels after the resurrection. No, Jesus says in verse 30, they will be like angels of God in heaven. Why do I bring that up? Well, you hear people say, well, you know, when you die, you turn into an angel. You get your wings. Again, (laughs) where are you getting your doctrine from? A movie on TV? I mean, it doesn't say you turn into angels. It doesn't say we're going to have wings. What Jesus means specifically and primarily by the statement is that like, like angels, we will not marry in heaven. Now, I do believe that in Jesus making this comparison with angels, there are some good qualities that, that we can compare ourselves uh, that we will have in heaven. Angels are beautiful beings. And they're strong beings. Angels are beautiful to look at. And when we get to heaven, praise God, unlike now, I hate to blow your theory about your beauty, but when you get to heaven, you'll truly be beautiful. <laughs> But now you have to wait a little bit. We'll also be strong. Think about angels. In the Bible, one angel killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army. Powerful. Our bodies, our new bodies, resurrected bodies are going to have, you know, we have no comprehension of the power we're going to have. We're going to have an enlarged mental capacity. I believe that angels are highly intelligent beings. Praise God, one day we'll be smart. We'll have brains. We'll have a greater spiritual range. The Bible says that we sow our bodies in weakness, but they will be raised in power. And like the angels, our character will be faultless. The angels perfectly obey God's will. Wouldn't that be great (laughs) to be in heaven and no longer any sin? Now, the good angels that are in heaven right now, they are sinless. They don't make mistakes. But again... (laughs) You see movies like, you know, It's a Wonderful Life and Poor Clarence, kind of bumbly, not getting, you know, he's got to earn his right to get his wings and, and all these silly ideas. But angels, if you look at the scriptures, they're beautiful, they're powerful, they're character, they have character, they're faultless, and they're before the throne of God. In the same way, we will be free of unrighteous desires, no covetous crazy cravings, no proud thoughts, no depression within our spirit, no inclination to sin. And we will perpetually worship God. This we know. Because when you read about angels, you read that they're always worshiping God. So will we. I love what A.W. Tozer said. Any man or woman on this earth who is bored or turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Now the Bible doesn't say verbatim that angels sing. But I believe that, that they sing based on other scriptures that would support or indicate that, but it doesn't actually say them singing in heaven. But I believe that they do, again, because of other scriptures that indicate that. But one song that they will not be able to sing, that we will sing, is a song called the Song of Redemption. They'll have to quietly listen as we sing this song, Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10, where it says, And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 5, 9 through 10. You know, we just sang, Is He Worthy? You know, the Chris Tomlin version of that that song, it's absolutely amazing. And I sing that, I'm going, oh, this is awesome. I've heard pastors say, you might want to learn the words of the song so that you'll know it in heaven. 
You got to get you know, up on those that don't. What are the words again? But you know, we'll have all knowledge, so we don't have to worry about that. Just learn Chris Tomlin's song, and it'll help you out. But again, when we get to heaven, we're not going to get married. We're not going to be given in marriage. Their, their trick question didn't work on Jesus. You know, it's funny. Sometimes non-Christians, they come up with the, the weirdest trick questions trying to trip you up. You know, arguments against the Bible. And it's really based on straw. The argument, you know, doesn't even exist because, you know, we don't marry in heaven. Or people think, oh, here's a great argument. We're really going to put him to shame this time. Can God create a big a rock so big that he can't lift it up? You know, the problem is they know nothing about God. Simple answer. There is no limit to the size of rock that God can create and there's no limit to the size of rock that God can lift. But the problem, will, people will argue over something that they know nothing about. They don't know the character. They don't know anything about God. And they base everything on what they've heard or what they read or false assumptions and they think they're so right and so intellectual. Here Jesus says to them, you are ignorant of God's word. And then he says, you're ignorant of God's power. And that really is the third point here, the solution. Back in verse 29, Jesus said, you are mistaken because you don't know the power of God. And really, what greater power is there than to see the power of the resurrection? Here Jesus shows them their ignorance of God's power by saying in verse 31, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, you, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? See, in that statement, and in verse 30 where it says, for in the resurrection, and those two statements right there, Jesus is affirming the fact that there is a resurrection. And if Jesus affirms it, then we need to believe it. I believe in the resurrection of the dead because Jesus said so. I believe that the resurrection will be a physical, bodily resurrection. The Bible, Old and New, both Testament concerns it says this. In fact, let me give you seven verses that you can jot down. You need to write out the verse, but let me give them to you uh, to make sure you're not ignorant of God's word when it comes to the resurrection. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and to everlasting contempt. Psalm 16, verse 9 and 10. No wonder my heart is filled with joy and my mouth shouts his praises. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your godly one to rot in the grave. There's a promise there. Job 19, 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. John five twenty eight and 29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming, in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 1 Corinthians 15, 42-44 So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Finally, number 7. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So you have Daniel 12, 2 and 3, Psalm 16, 9 and 10, Job 19, 25 and 27, John 5, 28 and 29, John 11, 25, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. Now you are not ignorant of God's word. There it is. I believe that the resurrection of the resurrection, that my body will be made alive and I will stand before God because God's word says so. How about you? That gets me excited. That I'm going to live forever in the presence of the Lord, raised from the dead. Now there are people, they have questions about the physical resurrection. You know, what about the guy who was burnt in a fire and, and, and he's just kind of toasted or cremated? What about your loved one who has been cremated or you sprinkled the rashes in the ocean? What about the guy who was eaten by a shark? What about those who were buried in the dirt and their bodies chemically dissolved in the soil and the grass brought the nutrients up from the ground and the cow ate the grass and the cow produced the milk and someone drank the milk and then died? Who's in the resurrection? Stop it! You are mistaken and do not know the power of God. You know, 1 Corinthians 15.36, Paul was asked the same kind of question. Paul, how are the dead raised and what kind of body will they have? And I love, you know what Paul's words were? <laughs> what a foolish question. He says that. He says, what a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. In other words, don't you know that this body you sow isn't the same body that comes up? God gives a body that pleases Him. You know, it's like the tulip. Tulip is a, is a beautiful flower. The tulip bulb, on the other hand, I mean, it's pretty ugly. I mean, one of the ugliest things on the earth. And, and you look at this tulip bulb and you go, man, this, this is ugly. But plant that tulip bulb in the ground and out comes this beautiful flower. What a beautiful picture of the resurrection. Plant this ugly, gross body in the ground and out comes a beautiful resurrected body. Now, it, it, it's tied into the body that is buried, but it's a new body. I read a story of a preacher who was speaking at a funeral service and he was eulogizing this person who had died. He always wanted to say the right thing in a service like that. And the preacher went for an analogy and it didn't quite work. It's a true story. He said of the person who died, we have here only the shell, the nut has gone. Not a great analogy, but the point is, is, is there. There is a connection. We know that our new bodies are going to be similar to the old ones. But the resurrection is not reconstruction. God is not going, oh no, they cremated him. I told him not to do that. <laughs> he got ate by a shark. What are we going to do? God's not freaking out, wondering how he's going to work out this dilemma. Resurrection is not reconstruction. It's resurrection. It's a new glorified body. Jesus said in Revelation 21.5, Behold, I make all things new. You know, I've shared this recently. We as humans, we can't make things new. We, we can fix things so they're as good as new, but we can't take something old and make it brand new. It's God alone who's the creator of all things that can take something that's cremated, something that's destroyed, something that's broken, dust and make it new. And that's what God does. It's a new glorified body. Even as Jesus came out of that grave in his glorified body and he could pass through the walls, he could eat, he could be touched, he could be seen. He said, a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. And I think that would be so cool to be able to just pass through walls. 
But there's a resurrection body like Christ has for all of us. One day I will hear his voice, even though I may die before the Lord returns. The Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. There's a resurrection. And those that are alive and remain shall be caught up. Those that are blessed to be here in, in the rapture will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and shall we ever be with the Lord. That's a resurrection. Lord doesn't have any problem in, in resurrecting people who have died. No problem for God at all. I mean, you know, if you believe the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, you have no problem with that. So first of all, there will be a resurrection. And secondly, we will live eternally after the resurrection with God. Now this I find exciting as well. Look at verses 31 through 33. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, when you just kind of read over that, you maybe you not get exactly what Jesus is trying to say here, but you have to see the tense in which he's saying these things. Jesus is putting this in the present tense. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, I was the God of Isaac and Jacob, and boy, they were great guys, but they're gone now, and I used to be their God, but they kicked the bucket, they bit the dust, they bought the farm, they're poof, they're gone. No, he says, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob. If someone came to you and said, hey, I'm a friend of your father's, what would that mean? Well, it would mean that your father is still alive and they're friends, right? If someone says, I was a friend of your dad, what does that mean? Well, two options. It either means your dad is dead and you used to be his friend, or your dad is alive and you guys have had a fight and you're not friends with him anymore. So when God says, thousands of years after Abraham died, I am the God of Abraham, what does that mean? Abraham is still alive. That God still has a relationship with Abraham. He still has a relationship with Isaac. still has a relationship with Jacob. He can't be a God of the non-existent. A God of the dust of the earth. No, God, verse 32, is not the God of the dead, but of the living. See, if Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were just nothing but dust, then they would be gone and God would not now be their God. But right now, at this very moment, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're still alive. Isn't that an awesome thought? Do you have someone that, that, is, that, that has died, someone you love, and now they're dead? Let me tell you. Yeah, they're separated from their physical body, but they are still very much alive. And those that have died in Christ are in the presence of the Lord. They're waiting for that resurrection body, but they're quite alive. What a great thing that is. We, we've not lost them. That's why Paul says we don't need to sorrow as others who have no hope in 1 Thessalonians 4.14. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with them those who sleep in Jesus. Another word for sleep means those who have died in Jesus. Now one more thought here. Because Jesus says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that he's not the God of the dead of the, of the living. We need to understand that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had a covenant with God. And yet God had not fulfilled all the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they died. So he said, well, what's the deal? Did God not keep his promises? Did God go, oh man, they died before I could fill my promise to them? You know, you may promise someone something and they could die before you can keep that promise. I read a story about a man who, who all his life, every time he got paid, he took $20 out of his paycheck and put it under his mattress. Well, then he got sick and he was about to die. And as he was dying, he said to his wife, I, I want you to promise me one thing. Well, promise you what, she asked. I want you to promise me, promise me that when, when I die, 
that when I'm dead, you'll take my money from under the mattress and you'll put it in my casket so I can take it with me. Well, he died and his wife kept her promise. She went in, she got all that money the day that he died and she went to the bank and deposited it and wrote him a check and put it in the casket. <laughs> you may promise someone something and they could die before you keep your promise. But you see, God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God still is going to keep that promise. You know how? Because they're still alive. In order for God to keep His promises, they have to be alive. Otherwise, God's word is not true, and God hasn't kept His promises. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, The eternal God does not covenant with temple creatures who live only three score and ten years and then go out like candles. I like that. That's exciting to know. The reason that's exciting is that God has made promises to you and I that, that, that though we may die before that promise is fulfilled, guess what? It will be fulfilled. It will happen. We will be resurrected. We will be alive in His presence waiting for the resurrection of our body and God's word will be fulfilled. Let me tell you this, this coming September I will be married almost 41 years. Well, I'll be married for 41 years in September and, and the Lord promised my wife who at 15 years old was in a car accident. She was paralyzed from her chest down and, and in this car accident. And, and I have the promise from God's word that she will walk again. It's going to happen. I will see her because you know what? God keeps his promises. And I long for that day when the lame will leap like a deer. I, I, God's promises, his word says that. I mean, think about this. Remember what God told Abraham. He said, take your son, your only son, and offer him on a mountain that I will show you. And then went up, up to this mountain and he put him on the altar and he raised his hand up with his big knife and he's going to plunge it into the heart of his son Isaac. What do you think was going through Abraham's mind? I mean, what was going through Abraham's mind was that God was going to have to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham would say, because God had made me a promise and that promise was that through my seed, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. Now that's what I call faith. God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son and through that son all the nations of the world are going to be blessed and, and through thy seed you will have kids as many as the stars in heaven. And a few months later, God says, now go kill your son. I mean, what would you do? What? That makes no sense. No, but Abraham knew that even if he went through with it, God would raise his son from the dead because God made a promise and God's promises cannot, will not be broken. In fact, we are told in Genesis 22, verse 5, we read even of Abraham's faith by telling his servants that, that when he was going to offer Isaac, he says, stay here with the, son, with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Not I will come back to you. We will come back to you. Again, this excites me because I know that God keeps his promises. And again, the reason Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica saying, quit your crying is if you have no hope, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. They're not at a disadvantage to those that are living. And we which are alive and remain, we are going to be caught up to be there with the Lord. So don't worry about it. That's a promise that God has given us. We're told in the book of Hebrews that, that the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, walked around earth as pilgrims, as sojourners. What were they looking for? They were looking for a builder and maker, a city whose builder and maker was God. You know, we're told in the book of Hebrews that they were looking for another country that we know as Christians is not an undiscovered country. It's been discovered by Jesus Christ. Jesus put it this way in John eleven twenty five and 26. I am the resurrection 
in their life. Not I was, but I am eternally. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he turns to Martha and says, Martha, do you believe this? Getting her to understand. It's not the end here on this earth. When the great Christian and scientist Sir Michael Faraday was dying, journalists questioned him as to his speculations for a life after death. Speculations, said Faraday. I know nothing of speculations. I'm resting on certainties. I know that my Redeemer lives, and because He lives, I shall live also. See, the, the basis of, are this, for this faith in the future life and the resurrection is the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Because He lives, we will live also. Finally, I want to close with this. It's the story of a young man who became stranded in the Alaskan wilderness. His adventure began in the spring of 1981 when he was flown into the desolate north country to photograph the natural beauties and mysteries of the tundra. He had his photo equipment, 500 rolls of film. They had film back in 1981. Several firearms and 1,400 pounds of provision. As a month passed, the, the entries in his diary, which at first he told his wonder and, and fascination with the wildlife around him, turned it into a pathetic record of a nightmare. In August, he wrote, I think I should have used more foresight about arranging my departure. I'll soon find out. He waited and waited, but no one came to his rescue. In November, he died in a nameless valley by a nameless lake 225 miles northeast of Fairbanks. An investigation revealed that he had actually carefully mapped out his venture, but had made no provision to be flown out of the area. Have you made provision for your departure? If you were to die today, do you know that you would go into the presence of the Lord? You see, we will spend eternity someplace. It's up to you where. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except by me. If you've asked Jesus, if you've asked the Lord God to forgive you of your sins, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then if you die, you will go into the presence of the Lord. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord, the Bible says. God's Word says that. So if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're unsure, I encourage you, don't leave here without making that commitment to Him. Surrendering your heart and life to Him. Know Him as your Lord and as your Savior. He promises you eternity with Him. And, and we've seen how wonderful it's going to be. Paul tells us in Romans 10.9, all you have to do is just confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead and you'll be saved. If you want to come to know Christ this morning, as soon as service is over, the elders are going to be up front. We'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible and let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, don't, don't walk out of here going, oh, I, I think I should. Maybe I, I, I should. No, make sure you make that commitment to Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, of the promises that you give to us. The Lord, that this body, though it may die, will live again. We thank you, Lord, for the hope of the resurrection. But more importantly, Lord, we thank you that we get to be with you for eternity. Not the resurrection that we have the hope and it's you that we have our hope in. And we praise you for that. We thank you for that. And Father, I do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, Lord, help them not to leave this place without making that commitment to you. While their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, is there anyone here you want to be born again this morning? You want to be saved? You want to know if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? You want to commit your life to Jesus Christ? 
Would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? Anybody at all? This is just between you and the Lord. I want to make sure that you know, that you know, that you know Him. Just raise your hand. Again, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Thank you for your word. Lord, we ask your blessing upon our baptism tonight, Lord, that you'd hold away the rain. Lord, that you would just bless it and and bless those that are coming out for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's all stand on the